Speaking of outhouses, <laughs> I descend from peasant stock. The slime holes that my relatives came from, they must have been a sight to be seen. My mother grew up in the heart of Russian Siberia, in a frozen wasteland called Zlataust. Anybody hear of Zlataust? No, I thought not. A balmy day in winter was 10 degrees below zero. The five of them lived in a small one-room cabin. Stalinist Zlataust was such a godforsaken place that survival meant either finding mushrooms in the forest or somehow purchasing or bribing your way into morsels of food. My father's paternal grandparents, my great-grandparents, immigrated to America at the end of the 19th century from a hole in the ground called Munkach. You heard of Munkach? Better than I am. It was so insignificant that it's hard to determine what country Munkach was in. Sometimes it was Hungarian. Other times it was Romanian, Ukrainian, Soviet. Who knows? And who really cares? It's a hole. I imagined it changed hands so many times because nobody really wanted it. My father's mother, my grandmother, immigrated to America in 1910 from a sleaze hole <laughs> called Baranovka in Nowheresville, Ukraine. Anybody hear of Baranovka? I didn't think so. By the way, it may not be any better today because I was doing research and I stumbled upon a Facebook page of things to do in Baranovka. And you know what popped up? No recommended events. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing to do in Baranovka. And that's today. Imagine what a cesspool it must have been in 1910. As far as I know, None of my ancestors could speak English when they arrived. They were peasants. Maybe they knew a few English words here or there, like Altakaka <laughs> or Pischer or Fakakta. But on the day they stepped off the boat, they could not string the words to form even one English sentence. They came with nothing but the clothes on their back and the trinkets in their backpacks. But they carried inside of them bundles of imagination, enthusiasm, and a ferocious work ethic. They came with a dream. They were dreamers. They dreamed the American dream, the universal dream of mankind. 
the dream of liberty, equality, opportunity, prosperity, and the pursuit of happiness. They fell in love with America. Their hearts swelled with gratitude and patriotism. They wanted to give back to the country that sheltered them from destitution and despair. To this day, there is a Gusman Hall in Miami, the main theater, named after my great uncle Maurice Gusman, who immigrated alone as a teenager from Baranovka in Nowheresville, Ukraine. The descendants of that first generation became scientists, doctors, lawyers, professors, authors, entrepreneurs. A couple even became rabbis, but of the new kind, not the old. My story is the American story. It's what makes America that shining city on a hill, a beacon of hope, beckoning to all who love liberty. Happily, wrote George Washington, the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it on all occasions their effectual support. That is the spirit of America. That is how presidents used to talk. They said the same things about us. We're dirty. We're smelly, we're ignorant, we're illiterate, we're peasants, we're disloyal, we're criminals, we're primitive, we're tribal, we carry disease, we are parasitical, we are lazy. We will cost the country more in social services than what we will contribute. America firsters of that period considered Jewish immigrants alien, not America worthy. Where are all the blonde, blue-eyed Aryans, they cried. Why, for God's sakes, can't we admit more Norwegians? Why these people? Once they see our country, they'll never want to go back to live in their huts. They'll never take, they'll never assimilate. They'll take the jobs of Americans. You know what happened, right? Everyone knows what happened. Not only did they not take the jobs of American workers, they ended up powering the American economy within a generation. At most two, they began saying that we contribute too much. Not that we are a drain on the economy, but that we can control the economy. We control the media, we control Hollywood, we control the banks, we control the legal and medical professions, the Jewish lobby controls politics. Is it even possible today 
to imagine America without Jewish immigration. During the past four decades, Jews, who are now less than 2% of the American population, have made up 40% of American Nobel Prize winners in science and economics, 20% of professors at the leading universities, 40% of the senior law partners in law firms in Washington and New York, the father of the father of the atom bomb, the father of J. Robert Oppenheim, our neighbor over here, who perhaps saved the lives of hundreds of thousands of American young men and millions of their descendants who were born because their fathers never had to invade Japan. The elder Oppenheim, Oppenheim was an immigrant from Germany. Julius Oppenheim came to America with no money, no higher education, and no English. He couldn't string enough words to form even one sentence in English. A Jewish immigrant from Russia gave voice to the sentiment of all immigrants. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. God bless America, my home sweet home. Jewish immigrants were so grateful and so enmeshed in American society, that this Cantor's son, Irving Berlin, even composed the anthem that Christians sing at the most sacred time of the year. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> Immigrants built this country. Immigrants are America. America is immigrants. From the early 17th century onward, immigration never ceased. Most Americans who became affluent started unaffluent. It's not about what slime holes these immigrants came from. We emerged from the deepest, darkest holes. My mother was a communist, taught to believe that Lenin was second only to the God that the Soviets banished. I still remember her telling us four kids that Russians invented electricity. That's what they were taught in Stalinist schools. America is not about where you came from. It's about where you want to go. America is not about the hut you lived in. It's about the heart that lives in you. How is it that Jewish peasants
and their descendants became so productive. These were the same people who generation after generation were peasants. How did the very people who produced peasants for generations, within one generation, two at most, produced the leading lights of the leading country of the West? It's because the shtetls were slime, the rulers were sleaze, the governments were scum, not the people. The people were gold. All that human potential waiting to be unleashed in the country that had the great good fortune and foresight to welcome them. Blessed land of liberty, endowed with natural wealth from sea to shining sea, with peaceful neighbors, with no enemies but yourself, to be happy and free. It is enough to wish it. All we needed. All most refugees and immigrants need is what we read in the Parsha of the Week. Let my people go. Free them from oppression. Let them in. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome to the tired the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Freedom and opportunity, the American way, the American system of government, American institutions, American civility, tolerance, respect for others. These are the difference between a peasant languishing in slime and the same person of incomparable achievement. Few, if any, of these Jewish American Nobel Prize recipients would have won anything. We probably would have never even heard of them had the gates been locked to them and their descendants and their ancestors. We should not think too highly of ourselves. Had we not had American opportunity, we too might be languishing today in poverty and despair. Of course, every nation must control its borders. I support legal immigration. I do not support illegal immigration. I support secure borders. I do not support lacks borders. A country that has lost control of its borders has lost control of its destiny. No country can allow unrestricted immigration. Just open the gates and anybody who wants to come. And therefore, the immigration debate is legitimate, important, 
and necessary. To take one position or another does not ipso facto determine that you are a racist, a xenophobe, or an anarchist. We're quick, too quick to label people in this country. But this vulgarity emanating from the highest echelons of the American government is not really about who the immigrants and refugees are. It is more about who we are. It's not about whether Haitians have AIDS. It's about our obligation to aid struggling people. We struggle too, you know, before they let us in. It's not about whether Africans live in huts. It's about whether we, Americans, live in hate. We lived in huts too, you know, before they let us in. It's not about whether he said hole or house. We've had crude politicians before. It's the sentiment of superiority, the disdain towards fellow human beings, the decline in standards, the normalization of the abnormal, the legitimization of some very fine racists. It's about the glorification of ignorance. Not knowing is one thing. Not knowing that you do not know and not caring is something entirely different. Ignorance and arrogance is a combustible combination that leads to catastrophe when married to power. It's about dividing people as a political strategy. Rich and poor, liberal and conservative, native-born and immigrants, black, brown and white, Judeo-Christians and Muslims, Mexicans and Norwegians, Hispanics and Scandinavians, America first, and everyone else. America firsters and America haters. It's about the persistent and consistent lies that over time undermine the pillars of democracy, the waves of fakery and untruth crash into the bedrock of our most cherished institutions and gradually wear them away, weakening their foundations and exposing them to corrosion. Truthfulness is the cement upon which liberty stands. Montaigne wrote, the first stage in the corruption of morals is the banishment of truth. Since mutual understanding is brought about solely by way of words, 
He who breaks his word betrays human society. Our word is the only instrument by means of which our will and thoughts communicate. It is the interpreter of our soul. If it fails us, we have no more hold on each other, no more knowledge of each other. It breaks up all our relations and dissolves all the bonds of our society. Hatred of foreigners is one of the oldest human passions. Judaism urges us to suppress these feelings. You were foreigners. It is the reason that God made us the archetypical foreigners so that we would fight for the rights of foreigners, the stranger, the weak, the dispossessed, and the downtrodden. This has nothing to do with political philosophy. It's not a liberal or conservative position. It's just Judaism. To be unconcerned about others, to be absorbed only with yourself, to build barriers of moral and emotional separation is un-Jewish. This week's Torah portion, Bo, describes the final three plagues in Egypt. Over and over again throughout the Exodus narrative, Moses and Aaron demand that Pharaoh let the people go, and over and over again, Pharaoh refused, and over and over again, we read the following phrase. And Pharaoh didn't heed them. He didn't listen. He deafened himself to their pleas. At the burning bush, God said to Moses, Shamati. And I, God, Shamati, I have heard the cry of the Hebrews, but Pharaoh responds, Lo shama. I have not heard. God hears, and Pharaoh does not. To hear the cries of the other is a godly act. To shut yourself off from the plea and pain of the other is what tyrants do. To listen is divine. To not listen is cruel. The first word of the central Jewish prayer is Shema. Listen. Plagues occur immediately after Pharaoh's Loshama. The destruction resulted from Pharaoh's not hearing the other. The root of human destruction is Loshama. Not hearing, not empathizing with the other, the inability to relate, to step into another's shoes. 
Jews have a special obligation to protect the weak. History has cast us into the role of perpetual wanderers, the wandering Jew. We are a refugee people. We know what it feels like. We are, or should be, especially sensitive to the well-off turning their backs on human suffering, unwilling to stare it in the face or only pretending to care. Do not forget where we came from. Do not forget we were slaves. Do not forget that we too needed a helping hand. The Bible cautions, beware and watch yourself, lest you forget the things that you saw with your own eyes, and lest these things depart from your heart. And you shall make them known to the, your children, and your children's children, now and forevermore.